Morning, everybody, and um, welcome to this month's uh, Strategy Cafe. Um, really um, pleased to have Matt Rogan with us this morning. I'm going to talk, uh, uh, introduce you to him in just a second. Um, and uh, really pleased also to have some new subscribers on. I hope you really like it. So for those of you not familiar with the cafe, it's our way of connecting with you uh, to help share insights into leadership. I'm, there's lots of books on leadership, and one of my views is you can learn a lot from those. But I mean, in reality, leadership doesn't—you know—it's one of those things where you have to uh, deal with things that happen to you in the moment, and some of those moments come at you in an unexpected way. So. Um, you know, real leadership uh, can be unexpected and um, uh, the insight around how to handle situations like that I think is really valuable. So uh, one of the purposes of doing this is to bring you those insights from successful leaders um, and it's a nice way uh, to help you understand uh, leadership and growth options and to share our thinking. Uh, as always, really pleased to hear from you on suggestions for improvements or for people who you'd like us uh, to interview. Don't forget that uh, you can ask uh, questions uh, on your side panel. You should see um, towards the bottom half of the side panel there's a questions area. Post your questions up during there as we're chatting today and uh, we'll have a look at those and towards the top of the hour get an opportunity to ask Matt uh, some of your questions. It'd be great to, to have some questions from you as you're listening in this morning. Uh, so we're gonna to come to Matt in a second, questions and summary and then close. Um, hopefully we'll be finished uh, just after 9, uh, 9 a.m. this morning, sort of 9, 5, 9, 10, something like that once we've, once we've wrapped up. Um, a little bit on forthcoming attractions, so um, uh, those of you who uh, haven't seen it yet, uh, our next Leaders Forum is coming up on the 6th of November, it's 3 till 6, it's a peer learning session. We're delighted to have um, two prior uh, Strategy Cafe interviewees, Richard Metcalf, who uh, is CEO and founder of Arc Solutions, which is an award-winning fintech, and Russell Earnshaw, who's been with us a few times, he's a fantastic rugby coach, ex-RFU coach, ex-Sevens player, ex-Premiership rugby guy, um, really sort of divergent thinker and a really fantastic coach. Um, they're both coming and we're talking about the myths and legends around high performance in teams. So there's lots of rubbish talked about that and um, lots of pitfalls and difficulties. Um, so it's a good opportunity to get together and talk about you know, when you get that magic really going uh, in, in, in your teams and how to do that. There's some very experienced people coming to talk to us about it, so it should be really good fun. And then we have networking and drinks from six onwards, uh, somewhere somewhere nearby. So that's six sixth uh, of November, three p.m. It's down at Monument. Uh, you can find details on the website. It's ninety-five pounds to come for the afternoon, which I think is a snip if you're not a client. If you are a client, then it's included in your fees, so you can just register and come along. And then uh, November Strategy Cafe, we're really delighted to have Dr. Hilary Lin Lindsay coming up, former president of the ICAW, and she's going to be talking to us about insights into how professionals need to change their approach and the bodies need to change their approach to lifelong learning, um, you know, in this kind of world where everything is changing all the time and it's difficult to understand what in the next five or ten years being a professional is going to be. So really exciting, and she's got some fantastic insight into, into that. So, um, welcome, Matt. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good, mo good morning. Maybe tell everybody a little bit about you. Good morning. Well, um, so my career, I guess, has been uh, about, what are we now, 
sadly, about 22 years in the living. So I graduated for, um, from Cambridge at 21 with a degree in languages. Um, and I've spent 22 years really um, trying to work in things that I would call passion industry. So I spent a bit of time working in, in music, a bit of time working in sport, and now come back to sport. Um, and really applying what I learned firstly on a football pitch, and we'll come back to that, but also learned in the early stages of my career, which was working in strategy consultancy, but working on heavily branded, deeply unprofessional sports and media and entertainment businesses. Um, so I guess what characterized my career really today has been trying to help um, heavily branded businesses put a bit of structure and focus and leadership um, into, into their organizations to be better performing um, on the balance sheet and on the P&L as well as on the pitch and on the stage. Fantastic. Um, so the reason we connected, just a bit of the backstory, is um, uh, there's a wonderful lady that um, coaches for us called Katerina Gould. She's a really, really uh, amazing coach. And I think her son uh, came to work for Two Circles. Um, That's right. That's right. So, so Two Circles is um, the business I co-founded in 2011. So uh, seven years, just over seven years ago now. One level, it feels like seven weeks. Another level, it feels like about 70 years. Uh, <laughs> Johnny Childers, um, a short while ago, was as one of our analysts. And, and Two Circles exists as the, a little bit like my whole career has existed, really, just to help sporting organisations and entirely sporting organisations, so not sponsors or anyone or players or anything else, help the clubs, the teams, the leagues put more science and evidence into the way they make decisions and in yeah. doing so hopefully become more successful off the pitch as on yeah fantastic i know so he was um i think he he loved it and he found it a really empowering and inspiring environment so she she said to, she said to me that i should connect with you and i thought it was really interesting so when we when we first um started to chat we kind of um kicked off with this point about um disruption uh, i just thought it was really curious how you came to create the concept of two circles through uh, the experiences you'd had and this idea of being uh, being disruptive and not being disrupted um, which is a which is a great a great line really but um, and from a strategy point of view it's really interesting how many of the clients and listeners out there have a business model which is clearly designed to be disruptive I just thought maybe a great place to start would be just to explain what you mean by that. What does it mean to be liberally disruptive? Well, well I guess to start with this context, so I was at MTV for four years and um, I was at MTV in 2003 when we had a cracking business model. Um, we didn't pay for our content because the labels gave us our content for free. Um, advertisers paid to, to put their advertising around our free content. Uh, the Skies and, the, and the, the TV networks paid for us to supply our content we haven't paid for or an advertising we've charged for um, onto their networks and kids paid to have our brand on their t-shirts. It was a perfect business model. Um, yeah. And then in 2003, I was I was at running the sponsorship for the Europe Music Awards as iTunes launched. Um, and over the course of six months, just saw our, our, our purpose really um, as a definer of music taste and a, and a cultural center for for a generation of youth sort of slowly dissipate. And so I'd seen something I was passionate about, lose it to Mojo really at MTV. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, 
I, and I guess as I was coming back to work in the sports industry and um, what I noticed was sport was going to be beginning to lose some traction too in the world of data and digital. It was, it was eight years, 10 years later, but it, it was making a lot of the same mistakes. Um, I'd been with my daughter and my, my son and my, and my wife to, to, to watch a sports event, which will go nameless. And, um, just, they hadn't picked up the fact that we had two young children, yeah. And so we were in a car park miles from the miles from the stadium as it poured with rain. Uh, <laughs> they knew we had a push chair and they put us in the middle of the row. Yeah, we were completely the other wrong end for that from the um, everything that had been put on for kids, and it just felt a bit of a disappointing experience, sort of top to tail, really. And we sort of said, well, this feels like um, an unsustainable experience. <laughs> this feels like something that sport continues to do this to, to kids and, and young families, then it's not going to have much of a future because yeah. cinema has cracked it and cinema has given us an experience we actually want. And we, we took that formative experience and after a couple of bottles of wine and meeting an extremely talented guy, our co-founder, um, decided to set up two circles. And, and the, the premise of the business from day one was we want to change the game for sports marketing. That was our vision. That was what we put above the changing rooms, if you like. And, um, so we don't want to just be another um, agency that exists in the sports space as is, where decisions are made really because they're the way things have always been done. Um, sports marketing haven't really changed for 50 years in terms of the way in which it operated. Um, we wanted to help sport be fundamentally better um, and more evidence-based and more customer-focused than the way in which we operated. We wanted to use big data to do that. Um, and pick up the clues that we'd given the sporting event that, that was a bit disappointing that we'd been to. Um, and it was it was really um, wanting to do something as bold as that made us really think hard about um, how we were going to build our business differently to achieve a different outcome to the way in which sports businesses have been built for the 50 years preceding. So it was, it was disruptive in its core, really. Fantastic. So, so I get that. So I get the why. So the why is because you had seen. Um, I mean, there's two things in there, aren't there? One is you'd seen, um, you know, business that you were in sort of slip away, and the other is just the experience was so poor by contrast with. Um, uh, and I guess what you're talking about there is um, other places where people get an experience, which is a different space, but it's it's a complete crossover. But it, but it ultimately it's. Um it's the competition yeah. with a finite amount of, of leisure time um, and those large computers, the increasingly small computers that go in our pockets, you know, more challenges around our leisure time. So sports competition in the brave new world and what's disrupting sport and likely to change sport was as much um, Netflix and Vue cinemas and appointment to view retail concierge services as it was, yeah. you know, another football team or another cricket team down the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. So one of my other clients has been thinking about this for the last sort of a few years in terms of um, logistics. And uh, so, um, you know, the, the actual space they're in is very sort of archaic and the experience there is archaic. But he realized early on that people's experience expectations were being really radically overhauled by, um, you know, modern retail. Yeah. Uh, on and so their expectations were just shifting and there was an opportunity there to do that in his industry, um, which is, again, very disruptive, I think. And I think for, from us, it was a, so we were, what came with the fact that sports marketing hadn't changed for 60 years, 
um, since the days of Mark McCormack was the guy that started managing Arnold Palmer and, and Jack Nicholas and set up IMG. What, what came with that was was the fact that the industry was quite ripe for disruption. So talent was a big washing machine, you know, so there was no yeah. recruitment of talent from outside other industries. It was a very, very insular space. Um, and because the market size was finite in that world, you know, it was a lot more about pinching other customers and thinking, yeah. you know, thinking about client acquisition as opposed to client retention. Just, a, just some sort of fundamentals that we thought it needed shifting. So, We've done a few things I would hope to um, in terms of our model to try and to try and think of it differently. So, um, for example, uh, I think we have I should know this, I think 149 people today um, yeah. around the world and less than 10 percent of those have been recruited from working in other sports. Which seems radical, but actually if sports traditionally been pretty poor at the service that you provide, why would you hire people from sport? Um, we found some great people in theatre, we found some great yeah. people in retail, we found yeah. some great people in, you know, just trained in hypothesis development, structured thinking, consultancy with a real empathy for our space. Yeah. Um, but um, but we've, we've had to, to fish in other ponds from a talent perspective. We've had countless people tell us um, you're mad because you only work for the clubs and the teams and actually it's the broadcasters who, who broadcast the content and the and the brands who sponsor the content who are the real ones with the money yeah um but we were we, we were clear from day one that that we thought as, as the world of data and content changed how it was going to go to the rights holders number one number two sort of only know you've got a strategy when you say no to things yeah, so we were really clear that we were fine with having a niche. We just wanted a niche in a lot of places around the world, as opposed to trying to be generalists too early. Um, and I think we were, um, because we looked for talent in different places, we, we were also sort of fairly disrespectful, but in an appropriate way, I would hope, of experience. Yeah. Um, by which I meant we, we were much more interested in um, mindset of people who could potentially join us who were both and the ones who've really flown in our business um, are those who've managed to find who, who can switch both right and left side of the brain on simultaneously so they can look at a set of numbers and and spot the three that look interesting or different not really sure why but spot the ones that look different and you can do that whether you've got a geography degree a history degree or a degree in um, physics but, but also have the, the right brain empathy and understanding, you know, that, that if those three are as, as controversial or toxic or as um, game changing as you suspect they might be, then you need a hunk of emotional intelligence to change an industry um, it, it, as a result of, of your findings. And so that right brain piece is really important. And, and I think, to be honest, I think sports quite lazily hired people. Um, because of the experience on the CV for years without really thinking about the way in which any individual might change your organisation. Yeah, I love that. I think that's, uh, so there's two bits there which I think are really brilliant and bold. So uh, I picked up your phrase, um, you know, you only you only know you've really got a strategy when you start saying no to things. I think that's really clear, uh, really powerful phrase. And then the quickly you're growing, the more, the more difficult that becomes. Yeah. Um, you just sort of get blinded by opportunity. And that's, that's why... You know, actually um, saying no to some things at the right time in the right space, it's been really important for us. It, it, yeah. Whether it's because it's not been our strategy, we've just been too busy. Because um, the other thing that I, I didn't get to that's been 
fundamental to our model is, is an existing client first philosophy and focusing on client retention above everything else. So yeah. we currently work with 91% of clients we've ever worked for. Yeah. And that's what's driven our growth fundamentally, as opposed to getting excited by the next big thing and the next big client around the corner. I think it's a fantastic um, idea, isn't it, to really focuses you on the customer. Um, I'm kind of yeah. interested just about this, this data and digital slide, which is up. So uh, yeah. you talked about using that as part of the core bit of the model. So, so far we talked about people, the way people are, how they think differently, um, coming from different spaces into this space. So bringing, bringing ideas and insight and experience from different spaces. But this is fundamentally about data. So perhaps away from people, but must still be about people. I know data and digital really is just a tool for people, but how have you used data and digital? How's the model changing? What's what's how is this disruptive? So traditionally, um, I mean, you switch on any football match now, for example, or any cricket or rugby match, and you'll see people with logos on their shirts wandering around a bit of green with logos around the side of the pitch. Uh, and, you know, sport traditionally has been um, – has existed on this, this sort of strange currency of, of theory around how many people saw the logo. And indeed, that seeing the logo makes a difference. Yeah. Um, theories of, of data from barbers, how many people are actually watching, as opposed yeah. to knowing how many people are watching, which are extrapolated from surveys, of people have set top boxes, which, which incidentally isn't many. Uh, and I guess the world of, of data and digital changes things because you know. So for example, um, we might know for one of our clients, um, let's say they're sponsored by an automotive sponsor, we might know um, how many of our, our, our client team's um, customers have an automotive of a certain brand. We might know um, based on when they acquired that car when they're most likely to buy another one. Yeah. Um, we might know how close to dealerships they live. And yeah. we might know what their level of loyalty is with the club that leads us to concur how you would best activate that sponsorship for a brand in yeah. a way that feels congruent and, and value add to the fan as opposed to um, as opposed to just slapping a logo on the side of a football pitch. So no, data and digital gives you fundamentally just gives you more intelligence yeah. um, to help you be more intelligent in the way in which you, you engage with a customer. So yeah. in and of itself, they're just tools. The smart commercial thinking they're not the product yeah and, um, and so for us our people are our product and the data and digital underpins uh, enables our people to be effective but it isn't it's just just like i guess with a coach who might have a coaching framework or a coaching model the person who makes the difference is, is the way in which the coach engages for their coaches it's exactly the same the data and digital is just the, the framework that we use underneath but our people walk into our clients and hopefully make a difference and upskill them effective at what they do. I completely get that. I've got a cracking question coming about that, so we'll come back to that a little bit later. But I just wanted to move on um, um, to uh, talk a little bit about um, about leadership. Uh, so um, um, for me, one of my uh, favourite phrases is that um, you know strategy really is about communication. If you think you're communication uh, communicating enough, you know you need to up it by at least a hundred times. Um, and I love this. This is a kind of I think these are sort of um, broadly what you said to me so how you cut through the politics of an organization as it's growing um tell us tell us how how you do that so i guess um 
so I worked for the NBA, the US Basketball League, and I worked for MTV and I had a great time, both of them. They're both quite big American businesses though. Um, and, and inevitably, you know, whether it's politics or whether it's just miscommunication around the pond, there's just quite a lot of, quite a lot of noise in bigger organisations, in my experience. Uh, and we had no excuse because it was our organisation. And I'd always found the noise, um, maybe it's politics, and, um, to be frustrating and unhelpful and unproductive. And, and so um, building my own organisation, the sense of, of not wanting, not having no excuse but to eliminate that. Yeah. Uh, and um, also a context of given what we did and given we um, needed to be quite disrespectful experience, the average age in our company was, was quite low. So I think our average age of our employees today is about 29. Yeah. Um, so, so we had no, um, no option other than to build a very flat organisational structure um, and, and the little things we did to, to support that were having an open, not only an open door policy, which is fine, but an open diary policy. So anyone in the business can see what, what our management team are up to at any one point, can book time in with us. Um, and also we were just remorseless on the, the, the frequency with which we look to communicate across the business yeah. um, and, and communicate in different platforms, in different fora. So we have um, things like uh, team strategy and just team connection days every six weeks. And we did that because the team was growing so quickly. They didn't know each other, um, let alone have an effective, productive working relationship with each other. We co-created our strategy every year. So yeah. set the direction as a management team and then engage the company in setting um, the, the company objectives every year, which we did on a simple balance scorecard. Uh, and then everyone in the business sat, set their own objectives underneath the balance scorecard structure as well. Um, we also had something, have something called the weekly podium, which I think is approaching its 260th um, Friday night email, which is basically just an update from one of the senior management team on things going on across the organization. Yeah. Uh, and the most important um, part of that is the final part, which is things going on in the business you didn't know about, but you are now, you do now. Yeah. Yeah. So that might be, and they're things that as, a, as an agency, you might not look to conceal, but you wouldn't necessarily proactively look to share. Yeah. So um, somebody's had a baby, somebody's just resigned, um, we've hired somebody new and they're joining in, in six weeks' time. Um, you know, WPP share price done this or done that, and this is our take on it. All sorts of different things that that hopefully just just creates a bit of a sense of of openness across your yeah. organisation. Um, I think it's really helpful. Yeah, and uh, it sounds like you're sort of building. You've built the business really around that transparency. One of the things we talk about is the yin and the yang of yeah. um, of of people, and um, the yin being like a, an emptiness or a space. And uh, I always feel that if you leave a gap. Uh, you don't communicate into a gap, then um, that space gets filled up by people's sort of rumours and worries and anxieties. Um, you know what? So a very simple thing. So we're, we're a limited company, um, which means every year our accounts go in company's house. Yeah. Means every year um, there are an amazing number of people, probably about 20% of the employee base, either their parents or they themselves will look on the company's house and sort of get a sense of, uh, yeah, how much profit we're making, what shareholding directors have, blah, blah, blah. I, and you can either just sort of hope nobody looks or you can just make sure that nothing in that is a surprise. Yeah. 
and so you know we'll communicate around how we're doing from a revenue perspective how we're doing from a profit perspective and and be you know be really clear around what we use the profit for yeah you know so so some of that profit we need about two and a half months worth of salary coverage in the business in terms of cash and and we need that in order to grow and so we use that and just kick it forward into next year's balance sheet you know just simple things which have to have two benefits firstly just stop rumors yeah you know and that's just by openness because often leaders do have great answers to tough employee questions they just hide from giving them number one yeah. number two um it teaches them to be leaders one day too yeah gentle subliminal teachers to help the professional service business actually operates is really powerful in particular because if you, if, if you get that bit right then they start to make smart decisions themselves given they yeah. have more organizational content so we try and be as 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 open as we can and occasionally it's fitness in the bump but, but not very often yeah again i've got another great question come through on that so i'm gonna um, come back to that later but um um so um, just wanted to kind of come get to the root of it all. So we were chatting about uh, about your sort of uh, you know where your gut for leadership um, uh, originated, uh, and I was quite interested because you took it all the way back to I know there's been things mentors and significant people, but you took it all the way back to your um, your first experiences in in school sports. Yeah, so so. Um... I guess it's funny actually. My son's just gone to secondary school uh, three weeks ago, and I guess it's about this time, oh, <laughs> something years ago, that uh, for no real apparent reason I could discern a, um, a PE teacher, a guy called Mr. Whitby at my school, came up and told me I was going to be the captain of the football team. I hadn't captained anything in my life, you know, I only played for Cubs. Um, and that experience over the course of five, six, seven years of captaining that team and really just, you know, being accountable for choosing or not choosing your friends as opposed to the people who are the most capable in that organisation, who are capable um, yeah. to play a role. Um, trying to give a team tool, age 13, after you bombed out of the county cup to a side you should have beaten in your sleeve. Um, trying to balance being a good captain with getting the work done that you personally need to get done, which for me was French and German homework, you know, all those kind of things. Yeah. I just, um, I guess, developed purely through captaining for Mr. Whitby as sort of an innate sense of, of what good leadership looked like. And yeah. he was fabulous in the way that, yeah, he very rarely said, don't do this or don't do that. I knew what a right eyebrow raise meant, <laughs> but, it, but he very rarely said no. Yeah. Just, coached me well and got me to consider you know what a smart thing might be to do at any one time and, yeah. and then what I've really found in particular um, I was a, 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 a organizational development coaching business called Lane 4 for, for a number of years and um, got to know the, the, the theory of leadership development, learning development in quite a lot of detail and really there was nothing there that I found that was particularly new it just gave structure and process to what I'd sort of learn on the football pitch and, yeah. and become quite innate from a different field and I'm sure it's no different to what people experience kind of being the lead violin in an orchestra age 12 or um, trying to get um, gold level DV or having some personal challenges actually at a younger age I was lucky I didn't have too many um, but you talked about uh, you talked about your tennis and um, feeling the pressure yeah, I mean, so I, I'm a great believer in, 
I'm a great believer that um, as kids should do something that enables them to be part of a team of people, whatever that might be, but also should do something that's quite individually focused. So, you know, I remember double faulting on match point in the national schools, tennis champs, um, and going on to lose um, in front of 25, 30 people. And age 13, that's, that's, um, it takes some managing. You know, it still makes my hair come up on the end of my body a little bit, just thinking about it now. And, and that's, but that's life. Right. And, and so it's that ability to lead and manage a team, I think I learned on a football pitch and that ability to, to manage myself through challenging times um, and trying to keep yourself together on the outside. And when on the inside, you're, you're playing terrified um, was from a tennis perspective. And, and they're things that those kind of individual mental skills and team cohesion, team development skills, the things we try and focus on really hard in our um, our training across our business today. So um, we focus on on three strands of the training we give our team. So so what we do, which is a hard transactional, um, structured thinking, hypothesis development, great presentation skills type stuff. In my experience, professional service firms just do that bit. Yeah, they do that bit really well, but they just do that bit. So that's the what we do. Then there's the how we do it, which is. Um, which is sure being, you know, leading in a professional service environment, handling tough conversation, things at a senior level, but also being a great line manager. Yeah. You know, with our average age is 29, that means we've probably got people five years out of university who are line managing, with no experience with line managing. And so yeah. we need to help them get there. Yeah. And the third thing we continually focus on so is what we do, how we do it. And the third thing is in the market we're trying to disrupt. So making sure we're not, um, we're not taking our frame of reference to the market. It's the frame of reference in the market that started seven years ago when we started. It was there seven years ago when we started, but the market was changing as private capital coming in. All those things happening today. That's the market we're still trying to disrupt. And so getting our team out into that market and talking about where that's going today is, is just as important as as whether they can do QC, gone on the spreadsheet. Fantastic. Fantastic stuff. Um, so I'm going to come back for questions in a second, but thank you very much. I'm just yeah, going to take a moment worry. as we hit the hour to uh, to kind of try and try and do justice to summing that up. Um, and then we've got some questions, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. Um, so just things that I've heard, which um, I really like from there for lessons for everybody. So one is um, disrupting and not being disrupted and changing the model. Just a question from me out to everyone listening. Do you really understand your business model? Um, it's talked about a lot, um, but it's a specific thing, and I wonder if you know what it is, and I wonder if you know how to analyze other people's and how to uh, design something which is disruptive. I really love that stuff about cutting through the, the noise. Cutting through the noise is Matt's phrase. I called it politics, but, um, you know, really that constant communication, the different structures of communication, the transparency of that, um, the top-down and bottom-up approach. So we set corporate KPIs, but when we ask people to set their own KPIs underneath that, their own goals, um, and uh, you know, you know trying to make sure that there's constant communication going on about things that are happening, so that there's no uh, gaps, and keeping people clear about the point of the business, the purpose of the business, and keeping them out in the marketplace. And then, probably with that, the training environment that Matt was just describing, which I think is also fantastic, the what and the how. Um, and just this point here about whatever your dialogue around strategic alignment, you know, um, 
grow it by a hundred times. It's probably too little. So talk more. Um, what are the what are the issues that prevent uh, transparency within the organisation? Just tackle them and get it out. Get it, get through them. Um, some really lovely other points. So building leadership experience early. The power of team leadership in school. I think that was really um, compelling story. And double fault double faulting uh, also. So the experience of pressure. I think the uh, you know the earlier the young uh, people can uh, have exposure to leadership and to pressure and handling it, the better because that's who we are. Uh, it's not a good idea to um, take those things away from the kids. They need to learn it because life is like that. Um, Matt didn't really get onto this, but there were a few other uh, occasions which he talked about about how mentors. Well, apart from the um, the um, uh, you know the teacher right at the start with the uh, the team, but other mentors in life who just kind of give you a nudge and uh, talk to you about what the right and the wrong thing is. So having mentors around you to help, I think, is really invaluable. And then there was another story that came out today, which is about learning to teach. So Matt spent, a, I think, a year teaching English language in a foreign language uh, arena and just trying to understand, you know, there's the sort of lesson plan, um, but um, spending time trying to understand actually how to get on to the same page of each individual student so that they there was a connection, there was an understanding, there was a sense of personal meaning. So moving away from just telling people and into actually engaging and how to engage, which I think is a really key part of all of this. So some fantastic insights there. Um, so a couple of questions. So uh, one was really about data. Uh -huh. um, so um, yeah, the idea of big data and, uh, you know, has been around for a few years now and you talked a little bit about the um, moving away from assuming and getting into knowing, which I thought was a really nice way of putting it. Um, one of the uh, current trends is about um, immediacy and questions come up about uh, augmented. Um, in sports, um, do, where's, where's, where are things going in terms of being able to see live uh, data? Do you have experience of that as well? Is that starting to come through? So immediately, so um, in our experience, um, a lot of the work we do is is selling access to something in a point of time. So. Um, for example, selling a ticket for a football match or a trust, trying to help um, customers go and have a test drive at a dealership or a sponsor of somebody's um, of, a, of a sports team. And in that environment, um, once engaging with the sport or the test drive, whatever it might be, um, we're, we're reticent to do too much that takes away from the primacy of that experience. Yeah. Okay, so so actually, if you look at things like the uptake of second screen sports statistics um, at a live sporting event, it's really quite low in the hospitality boxes. For example, if you have you know somebody's connected this many passes and this, that, and the other, actually it's quite low. Half time, it's much higher, but live right. and in the moment with an experience that's as emotive as a live sporting event, um, it's quite low. Um, there are certain sports for which that is different. So, for example, something like a test match cricket, we might be there all day, or cycling, where actually you might be there all day, but then the, the talent misses around three times, and it's more of a broader experience you're trying to connect in the day. So, immediacy of, of available data um, and, and the importance of that and a live sporting spectacle changes depending on the sport. Yeah. Um, sports. Nevertheless, though, they're relatively small businesses. Right, so if you look at the turnover of 
say, Everton, which is about the middle turnover of a Premier League team, it's the same as Topshop Oxford Circus branch. It's about 170 million quid a year. So, so they're not massive businesses. And so what that means is, um, in our experience, AI and, and kind of immediate live data finding experiences um, is still very costly. Um, yeah. as doesn't have enough benefit to merit seven-figure sums in the development of it for a specific club yeah. team league. However, um, what it is is changing at pace is the broadcast experience. Interesting. So I could go on for hours about that. I hope that's short enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's really interesting. It's a really good insight. Um, the other one that's come through is a um, more of a leadership question about transparency. So where your organisation doesn't have that, you know where. So um, if if you are in an organisation where typically things have been more um, kept secret and not talked about, and the communication isn't good, um, you know, um, is there a good way to overcome that? What's the what's the best way to start to overcome that? So I um, I had a really uh, a fabulous boss at MTV, um, a lady called Gemma Newland, and and um, what she was really good at was was existing in a world where uh, MTV Europe was part of MTV North America, MTV North America globally was part of Viacom, and and, and so hoping you could get a line of sight between what we as, as our European team were doing within the context of a big media conglomerate in North America. You know, we were never going to have a direct line of sight. But what she did a really good job of was in the context of our team plans. Um, coming up at the beginning of the year with a set of strategic goals that we could own, influence and see our direct impact of. And yeah. so the way in which she shared and managed information flow within the context of what we could control as our team was brilliant. And so it set the context of being open with each other, clear around what was controllable and uncontrollable in our environment and holding each other to account without necessarily setting ourselves objective that any one of us individually was going to shift by a common share price. So I guess it's a sense of just being open and clear and controlling what we control um, and just being honest with what we couldn't as well. Yeah. Fantastic. So uh, really good answers. Thank you very much. I feel like we could talk forever and there's loads more to talk about, And but um, it's time for work. So I'm going to say thank you, everybody. Uh, for joining in this morning and uh, for, for listening. Uh, thank you very much to, to Matt on behalf of everyone for a really uh, fantastic half hour, lovely, um, uh, rich insight there. Um, uh, the video is going to be recorded. It will be up on our YouTube channel um, shortly. Um, question back to everybody listening, just what's the one thing you're going to do to improve on your own leadership from today's session? So just think about that and uh, do me a favor of just capturing that one thing that you're going to act on out of what Matt's, what Matt's um, shared with us. Um, don't forget, um, the next Strategy Cafe is with Dr. Hilary Lindsay, former president of the ICAW on the 15th of November. Should be able to register online for that shortly. Um, YouTube site is up, so just go and have a look on YouTube and look out for um, Olympic Strategy. You can find, I think there's 20 of these up there now. They're all fantastic, all very different. Lots of different angles on how to improve your leadership. So go and go and have a look. It's all free. Um, and today's uh, recording will be up there shortly. Don't forget about London Leaders Forum. You can find out more about that on the website, and uh, just get in touch if you're interested to come along or bring some of your team along. Fantastic peer learning session and a chance to get a little bit deeper 
on some of these issues. Uh, and um, just for that, we're um, um, taking some of the uh, fees from those sorts of things and giving them to our chosen charity, which is about children's well-being in schools, a fantastic charity called Place to Be. Um, a little bit there about our sober October. So uh, at the moment we're all um, uh, we're all off uh, off the drink for uh, October. And if you think that's a good thing to do, you can give us a couple of quid. Uh, there's a link here which is up on our website uh, to just support uh, place to be. Thank you all very much indeed for listening. Uh, really lovely to have you on the show this morning, and look forward to seeing you all next time. And thank you very much to Matt. Thank you.